Good to see you all this morning. We're going to uh, let the children be dismissed this morning for uh, junior church. And as they do that, I'd like us to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Book of Philippians chapter 1. The topic that I want to discuss with you this morning is the topic of courageous Christian joy. And I want to address it from the perspective of the importance in our lives of maintaining a joyful and yet courageous perspective in our Christian life. The reason I think often that we lack courage is because we get beat up by the circumstances of life. And when we're beat up by the circumstances of life, we go through a lot of struggles and difficulties or go through a time of recession like our country is going through now. It is very likely and possible, I think, that our joy in Christ can be diminished. And I think the corollary corollary to that is this. When joy diminishes, courage diminishes. When we're joyful in God, you will find that when you have greater joy in God, you will have greater confidence and greater courage. This morning, I want to give a couple reasons for why we need to address this topic. Why we need to maintain and encourage joy that is courageous in our Christian life. And why I want to do it from the text of Philippians chapter 1. One reason I think is this, and I think this becomes pretty clear. As you read through Paul's life, it is, I think, fairly evident as you read through Scripture that no one in the New Testament exhibits more regularly or has more opportunity to regularly exhibit in his writings joy and courage in Christ. And so when you come into Paul's writings, what you find is that he's often drifting into autobiographical sketches that are meant to show joy and courage as a means of encouraging others to have the same attitude or perspective in their Christian walk. So Paul tends to function in that way, and in a sense, he reminds us of the nature of our Christian experience. So it's helpful to look at his example. Also, I think it's important to address it because it will break us out of patterns that we tend to develop in times of struggle. The patterns that I think we tend to develop are patterns of timidity or shyness in terms of sharing the gospel. We don't want to ruffle any feathers in the lives of those around us. We don't want to bear criticism. We don't want to offend the kind of foggy secular thinking of our day. And so when issues are brought up on the table, we tend to be silent when we should be joyful and courageous in terms of speaking God's truth. So we have a tendency. We need to break out of that tendency. Also, I think this. I think the church, not only in the world at large, but also in America, needs to be ready to face opposition that I believe will become increasingly more visible and vocal. And I believe that opposition will rise primarily in relationship to the, to the issue of moral absolutes. Beliefs and convictions that the church holds, that Christians should hold, that when they are spoken and proclaimed, will begin to bring increasing pressure against you. My daughter just graduated with a degree in nursing, and she is today working as a nurse. I believe this with all my heart. I believe the Christian nurses are going to be pressured to administer medications that will produce abortions, and I believe that their jobs will be on the line over that issue in the not-too-distant future. That's my personal conviction. If you, you read up on what's happening in that area, the discussions that are out there, there is pressure that is coming. 
pressure that is real. And I believe we need to be face, prepared to face that. If you look around the world globally, if you look in countries like Pakistan, uh, on a couple of occasions in the last, in the month of July, I was going to say in the last month, but in the month of July, there were a number of murders and the burnings of houses because of people's faith in Christ. I have an article uh, called Black Day in World Magazine that addresses some of that. If you go back and just put in, in your computer, type in the word Orissa, India, you will find that a year ago, some believe that upwards of hundreds of people were killed in India, thousands of houses burned simply because they professed the name of Christ. Now, here's the question I have for myself. Am I ready for that? Do I have a joy that is so deeply rooted in Christ that I will maintain courage in the face of those kinds of circumstances? 1 Peter 4 and verse 12, Peter says this. He says, don't be surprised by the fiery trial that is about to come. Okay, what is he doing? He's giving the church a warning. He's giving those that hold to moral absolutes a warning that you, in the context of your Christian life, will face various kinds of pressures. The goal of those pressures is to break you away from your deep-rooted convictions in Christ. If you have moderate convictions to Christ, you are tolerable. You're acceptable. But if your convictions are deeply rooted and life-altering and life-changing, you're increasingly, I believe, going to be living in a world that, that finds that unacceptable. And so we need to be prepared. And lastly, I think because of this, because boldness is to be normal in the Christian life. Courage, in terms of pro proclaiming, sharing biblical truth, is to be the norm for the Christian experience. And so when Paul addresses the nature of the Christian life, he says to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. The nature of Christian living that Paul is communicating to Timothy is that it is a battle. It's not a game. Never described in that way. It's described as a war. It's not competition. Okay, it is a struggle, a battle that we are to put on the armor of God and be prepared for on a regular and daily basis in our lives. We need to live carefully. This boldness that we are to have is to be normal. It is not to be a rudeness, but it is to be a strong, deep-rooted courage. And I have this conviction, and this flows out of my own personal experience. I think that we as the church can tend to be way too careful. We can be walking on eggshells. Do you ever find yourself doing this? Out of a desire not to offend, we stuff our joy. And when we stuff our joy, we stifle our courage. And we become ineffective. We can live in a context, a neighborhood, a workplace. And many people in that setting will not even know that we are Christians. Why? Can I venture a guess? We're afraid of what they'll think. We're not afraid that they're going to hurt us. We're just concerned about what they might think about us. And so we tend to grow silent about the message that should be the greatest news that mankind has ever heard. And so I want to challenge us to a joy that moves us towards courageous obedience in terms of sharing the good news of Christ with the world around us. I want to help us to grow, to become willing, to avoid watering down the gospel to the point that it has it becomes uncompelling and lacks biblical content. We need to maintain gospel-centered courage.
And when we do, it will produce great joy in our lives and it will make us effective instruments of God in the world around us. The text that we're looking at is Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to listen to what Paul says here. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and that, that phrase captures Paul cons- Paul's concerns, okay? It tells you why he writes what he writes from verse 12 down through verse 26, okay? The theme is, I want you to know that what has happened to me, what is Paul talking about? His personal circumstances in prison, okay? He knows that his brothers in Christ in Philippi, who love him dearly from the heart, are concerned about his circumstances. They're wondering, is Paul bummed out? Has he been thrown down the stairs spiritually because of the struggle that he's facing? Because he's been arrested? How is he faring? How is he doing with all of that? They're deeply concerned. And so Paul, from a, uh, an imprisoned situation, writes this letter so that they will know or be aware of what has happened to him and the impact that it has had on his life. Because they, they have an assumption, just like you and I have an assumption. Difficult situations are not good things. Right? Isn't that our assumption? Pain is not good. Difficulty is not good. Hardship is not good. Okay? And Paul's writing to them out of hardship to help them to understand why he is able to maintain Christian joy and to help them to have the same courageous Christian joy in their experience. He says, I'm writing so that you will know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has been clear, become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And that's where you come up with this joy that produces courageous and fearless proclamation. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The letter does so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? Okay, I, just, I love that question. Paul says, so what does that matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice. You know, what becomes clear in this text, I think, is this. Paul, in a difficult situation, is choosing courageous Christian joy. Courageous Christian joy is not arising out of his circumstances. It's arising out of his response to them under the sovereign direction of God. Okay, he's choosing to respond in a certain way and God is blessing that response and the result is that what has happened to him has actually turned out to be a good thing. But the believers in Philippi are concerned that he's going through a bad thing. Therefore, the consequences and impact of it on Paul's life must be a bad thing. And Paul's saying, it's not the case. He wants them to maintain courageous Christian joy. And I'm going to look at a couple of thoughts that I believe emerge out of this text that will help us in maintaining Courageous Christian joy. The first thought is this. Christian joy is not dependent upon good circumstances. Okay, courageous Christian joy is not dependent upon good circumstances. 
you know how fickle we are in terms of circumstances and how it affects us emotionally? How, how many of you have done well over the last two weeks with the high heat and humidity? All right, we were enjoying beautiful weather through the beginning of the summer, weren't we? And then the weather changes a little bit, and what happens to our attitudes? I mean, we're talking over weather. What happens? How you doing? It's so hot. <laughs> I mean, everybody you bump into. Man, can you believe how hot it is? It is so humid. It's so hot. What do we do? We have this tendency to drift, okay, that, that difficult circumstances have to have a negative consequence. We, we so quickly move in that direction. And what is Paul saying in this text? He says, I want you to know about my circumstances. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, my set of circumstances, has actually turned out to be a good thing, even though they are negative things. Now, what was it that had happened to Paul? Okay, and I think I've already alluded to this, but just in the context, so you see this, at the end of verse 13, in the beginning of verse 14, Paul says very clearly, I am in chains. Okay? It, parents, okay? Your teenage child is out, they have the car. They call you on the phone. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Where are you? I'm in prison. Okay, how many of you are going to respond and say, oh, that's good? <laughs> oh, automatic way. That's a bad thing, okay? What does Paul say? He's saying the opposite. I am in chains. Two times he says it, but here's what he says. You think it's a bad thing. You think it's a negative circumstances that, be, that is, 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 is going to necessarily produce in my life some form of spiritual depression. You think I'm down. That's what he's saying. And the first thought that he wants to impress upon them is this. Christian joy is not dependent upon good circumstances. What was the intended effect of this circumstance? Those that had taken Paul and bound him in shackles and put him in prison or in house arrest tied to a Roman guard by chains. What was the intended effect of that action? What was their goal? What do you think? To encourage Paul to speak more. Right? No. The purpose of opposition is to bring silence. They thought if we put Paul in shackles and put him in prison, he'll finally shut up. That's what they thought. Folks, when people criticize you, they bring pressure against you because of your faith in Christ or because of how you deal with your kids, because of the moral standards that you expect your kids to live up to, and they kind of look at you like, oh, it's the 90s, it's, it's the year 2009. It's... Do you ever cave under that pressure? Are you prone to silence when people critique your faith or your commitment to Christ? See, the purpose of negative circumstances is to bring silence. And it's why people criticize. Notice what Paul says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. They must have been like, you what is he thinking? My circumstance is negative. Being in prison has actually served to advance the gospel. And the word advance literally means to, it's, it, it's describing the people in Rome that went ahead of the army that blazed a trail so that the army would have free sail. So they could effectively advance and achieve their purposes and goals. 
Paul's saying these circumstances have had the effect of blowing the debris out of my life. And as a result of that happening, this struggle, these chains. And it's, Paul's not minimizing the chains. He, he's not saying, hey, being in prison is a good thing. He's not saying that. He's just saying that negative circumstances aren't necessarily a bad thing. That his joy is not dependent upon his freedom. That's the point that he wants to bring home to us. These circumstances, he's saying, have actually served to clear the way. They've removed the underbrush and obstacles that were before me. The lesson that Paul speaks about here is a lesson that does not come naturally. Okay? Paul didn't come by this like, oh, this just naturally occurred. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. Just turn ahead a couple pages. Philippians 4 and verse 12. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. Paul says, I've lived on both sides of the fence of prosperity. I've lived in poverty and I've lived with plenty. I've been in both places. But notice what he says. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now what is Paul saying? I... I didn't come by an appropriate response to trouble naturally. But as Paul said, I learned through my circumstances, through bad responses and good responses, the Spirit of God has been creating in me an ability to see that my happiness and my joy is not dependent upon good circumstances. So that's the first thought, I think, that emerges out of this text. Christian joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. Is yours. Okay, let me ask it this way. Is mine. Okay, I want to be honest, okay, and say that I can get blown around by things that shouldn't blow me around. I can become discouraged by things that shouldn't discourage. And we as a church, as individuals, as Christians, we need to learn to be content. We need to learn to find joy, to not let negative circumstances blow our faith out of the water. We will do this if we realize that our Joy is not dependent upon good circumstances. The advance of the cause of Christ is not dependent upon good circumstances. That should be so abundantly clear as we study the word of God. Second thought that emerges. Joy and effectiveness came through the trouble that God allowed. Okay, now please understand how I'm saying this. Joy and effectiveness for Paul came through, that is as a result of the trouble that God had allowed in his life. And Paul is going to identify for them two positive outcomes to the negative circumstances. So he says, don't let your joy be controlled by the circumstances that you're facing. Secondly, look at the outcomes that God is bringing through the struggle in Paul's life. He's just giving autobiography, personal experience, showing how God has proven himself faithful in spite of the circumstances that he's facing. And he's going to point to two issues. Verse 13 is the first one. As a result of what? Of what has happened to me. Okay, verse 12. So he's just, as a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, now when Paul uses the word Christ, he is using it in the broadest terms to understand and capture the glorious nature of the gospel. Christ, the one who lived, who died, who was buried and rose again on the third day as the payment for our sin and for the glory of God. Paul says it has become known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. So what is the first positive outcome of Paul being in prison? He's writing back to Philippi. They're concerned about him. They sent a letter. They sent financial help. You see this all in chapter 4. 
and they're concerned about their brother Paul. How's he doing? Paul writes back and says, hey, number one, my joy is not dependent on the circumstances that I face. Number two, God is working through the circumstances. You know what we often say? Well, God works in spite of the circumstances that we face. That is a weak view of the sovereignty of God. The strong view of the sovereignty of God is that he allows these things to come into our life and uses them to accomplish things that otherwise would have never happened. That's how Paul looked at this situation. He sees over his life a sovereign God who is Romans 8. And this is where this verse takes on life. All things are working together for good to them that love God that are called according to his purpose. Paul refuses to look at negative circumstances as things that are outside of the control of God. He sees all of his circumstances as under the sovereign control of God. And therefore, he embraces them and says, God, this is a difficult thing. These chains, they're not good, but I'm not going to let them dictate how I feel about you. I'm not going to let them determine my view of life. They're hard. They're chains. They're shackles. They limit your freedom, but they can't limit the work of God. That's Paul's testimony here. As a result of his chains okay as a result of what has happened in verse 12 what does he say he says the whole praetorian guard or the palace guard they say tim who is that who is the praetorian guard it was the elite guard of the emperor of rome some estimates say up to nine thousand soldiers they were the special forces people they were the delta force they were the seals These were the highly trained secret service people that surrounded the emperor. How would you get an audience with them? I want to make a suggestion to you. If you're ever at a rally and President Obama is speaking and there's secret service people around, don't walk up and try to shake their hand. Okay? They're they're not friendly types. Okay? Their job is to protect the president's life. How How would you possibly get close to them? Paul looks at his circumstances and he says, hey, I'm in prison. These chains are actually a good thing. And I love how he says this in in verse 13 or, or, or the end of verse 12. He says, the things that have happened to me have really or have rather in the Greek served to advance the gospel. You would think that the imprisonment would be negative in its consequence and outcome, meant to silence. But Paul says, no, it hasn't silenced me. It's given me unprecedented, unexpected opportunities to serve God. Folks, do you ever look at your circumstances in that way? Do you ever look to see if the sovereign hand of God isn't at work through the trouble that you're going through? That he is working through it, not in spite of it, but that through it, he's trying to use your life for his glory. Paul had this bigger picture. Salvation of the Praetorian Guard. For Paul, an unprecedented opportunity to speak to people who would not have heard the gospel of Christ apart from these chains. Is that not a liberating perspective? And ask yourself this question, okay, what's bothering me today? What trouble, what stress, what problem does God want to work through? Not in spite of, but through, directly using it to achieve his glory. Folks, isn't isn't that at the heart of the gospel? I I look back this morning earlier, Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. Twice the apostles make this observation. You crucified him, but God. 
raised him to life again. Isn't it true that what the disciples thought was the most devastating set of circumstances actually led to the greatest deliverance? Isn't that the essence of the gospel? You put him to death, but God raised him to life again. And the result of his being raised to life again is that he is proclaimed our Savior over our sin and the Savior over our greatest circumstantial fear, death itself. Paul could look and say, hey, look, as a result of me being in prison, I'm able to talk to people that I could never talk to otherwise. What circumstances has God brought into your life that gives you an unprecedented opportunity to speak to people that you otherwise would not be able to reach? How's he working in your life in this regard? In verse 14, Paul talks about another positive outcome. Not only is there the salvation of the guard, there is also this, verse 14. Because of my chains... Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And that is a fascinating statement. Because of me being in prison, my brothers and sisters, where? Not in Philippi, right? But Paul's writing to them to give them the perspective of the Roman believers. The Roman believers are hearing about Paul in prison. What is he doing? He is preaching the gospel. What got him in trouble is being proclaimed in prison. In his house arrest, that's where Paul is courageously speaking the news of Christ. So much that the word has begun to trickle out of the prison. Because they're wondering, the Christians are wondering, what's going on with Paul? How's he faring in this circumstance of trouble? And they're saying, no, he, he, he just you can't shut him up. You can't get this guy to be quiet. You can put him in chains. The intended effect to silence him. The God intended outcome. Paul says, hey, Many in the Praetorian Guard are coming to Christ. Shouldn't that bring you joy? You see, that's Paul's perspective. And the brothers and sisters in Rome are encouraged to more fearlessly and courageously speak the word of God. Folks, that's what happens. When you go through a trying circumstance in your life and you respond appropriately because you know you have a God that is sovereign over your trouble, it won't kill your joy. And God will work through it in your life to bring glory to his name. What circumstance in your life, what issue in your marriage, what struggle with your children, what struggle with a habit in your life, does God want to redeem, raise up, and turn to be used for his glory? Because you're probably like everybody else. You're probably like me. You're looking at it as a negative. Paul looked at his chain and he said, okay, God, how are you going to use this? Two results. People in Rome were being saved of high caliber, people that could never be reached otherwise, because of, not in spite of, through Paul's suffering. And the brothers and sisters in Christ who had a weakened faith were being strengthened and encouraged. Most of you watched the news about what was happening in Iran. I think it was just a month and a half or so ago with the elections that took place and then the protests that followed. Most of you probably heard the name of a girl, Nita Sultan, 26-year-old philosophy student who was murdered in those demonstrations. This article says, and this is written back then, it says, this young woman named Nita Sultan is being embraced as a martyr in Iran. And most of you know the, just the the, the video of her death, the pictures that went just around the world. 
from an outside perspective, how did we perceive that? We perceived it for what it is. It's sad and tragic. The believers in Philippi were looking at Paul's chains for what they were. They were bondage. You can't make the thing itself good, but you can talk about the outcome. Iran experts say that images of her bloody death have galvanized the country and mourning for her, which has been banned by authority, will bring deeper unrest, which means it will serve to strengthen the cause of freedom because of her sacrifice. In a space of just hours, the philosophy student became the image of Iran's democratic protest, nicknamed the Angel of Freedom, but it is Nita's real, Nita's real name, which means voice or calling in Farsi. That is resonating in slogans throughout Iran's capital and beyond. Nita has become one of the pillars of this movement now. And the bloody images of her dying in the street are its main icons and symbols. You capture what that's saying? Her courage, which led to death, is encouraging others. It's what's lighting in them a flame, a desire to be free. Why? Because of her courage. In the face of difficult circumstances, knowing the risks that were involved, still engaged in doing the job of speaking for what was right. It's interesting that later Paul will say this. Paul will say, I want God to be glorified in my body, whether by life or by death. Why? Because everybody knew clearly why Paul was in prison. And this becomes a fascinating statement to me. If you look at verse... Verse 13, he says, as a result of my imprisonment, it has become clear throughout the whole palace and to everyone that I am in chains for Christ, that the purpose of my imprisonment is Jesus. Why? Because Paul took the opportunity and did not sit in silence. He took the opportunity of imprisonment tied to a Roman soldier as a captive audience, not as someone who kept him in that place. See, Paul, look, you, most of us look at the negative. Paul, you're in prison. You're tied to that guy. Paul, that guy's a captive audience. He's got to stay with me for whatever, a six-hour shift. Paul says, for the glory of God, I'm going to take advantage of that opportunity. I'm not going to sit here bummed out. I'm going to tell him why I'm here and why I'm glad to be here. And that he's not there by sovereign luck. He's there by the design of God. And there's a verse at the end of Philippians that just, you read, as Paul concludes this letter, there is uh, something that just kicks in that identifies the fact that there were positive outcomes to this struggle. Verse 22. As he concludes the letter, he says, Greet all the saints in Jesus Christ. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings. Read the next phrase. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And how would they hear? How would they know? How do you rub shoulders with royalty when you're in prison? You speak to the people that protect them. You share with them the good news of Christ in spite of the potential consequences and knowing that God can work through your circumstances to honor his name. I'll never read verse 22 in this book in the same way again. It was because of Paul's imprisonment that the gospel came to Rome in such a powerful way, so much so that when he writes, he says, oh, by the way, those in the household of the king 
who have come to faith in Christ as a result of, through, not in spite of, through my chains. They greet you. Folks, that is powerful. It means God can reach the heart of anyone that needs him. And he'll use any and all circumstances, good and bad, to achieve and accomplish that purpose in the lives of those that are willing to embrace negative circumstances as good things in the hand of a sovereign God. Does that make sense? To, to capture Paul's amazing trust in God that enabled him to embrace, embrace this difficult circumstance as a positive thing. The pressure that was intended to limit his effectiveness was in fact the cause of his effectiveness. Okay, the pressure that was intended to limit his effectiveness was in fact the cause of his effectiveness. That is, God causes all things to work together for good. Like, please see that. Don't let that verse drift out there as a theory. Let it be a reality in your life. That the God who is sovereign in all things is working in your life. Number three. Maintaining courageous joy is dependent upon my response to God-given circumstances. I just want to say this in a very, very simple way. When you face trying circumstances, you can give two responses and the words are the same. It's the inflection that determines what you're really asking. When I face trying circumstances, I can say, God, why me? Why me? Why me again? Or I can ask that question with optimism. And I think that's how Paul's responding here. He's just saying, God, why me? Why'd you put me here? What do you want to do? But see, one is pessimistic towards circumstances that are negative because it thinks that our joy is rooted in our circumstances. One is optimistic because it knows that God works all things together for good. Paul is choosing joy in this passage of Scripture. He's responding to negative circumstances with the hope that God can work not in spite of, but through them for his glory. If I insist on and depend on good circumstances in order to be obedient before God, I will lack joy in my Christian experience. Paul's Paul's private concerns were not the main thing to him. His comfort, his security was not the most important thing to him. I'm not saying he didn't care about those things. Because I believe at some level he did. But they were not the dominant ruling thought of his life. His concern primarily in life was not what will make me happy. His concern was what will glorify God in my response to this set of circumstances. Folks, I know Represented within our church, there are many people that go through all kinds of circumstances that are extremely difficult. How you respond, the choice you make to glorify God through those struggles that you face will determine the outcome. Whether God will be glorified or whether God's name will be dishonored. What change or circumstances has God allowed or brought into your life that look like a delay, that look like something that is inconvenient, but are actually divine appointments and opportunities. Will you choose joy? Will you choose courage? And begin to see God work in your life in a very special and unique way. The last thought that I think emerges in verses 15 through 18 is this. True joy is found in focusing on the gospel 
not circumstances. Okay, true joy is found in focusing on the gospel, not circumstances. And notice how Paul says this in verse 15 and following. He says, it is true. And, and obviously, he's picking up on what? A rumor that they've heard. Okay, some kind of rumor. Paul says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Others out of goodwill. Now, what's he saying? Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Some preach Christ out of goodwill. Some who are sharing the same gospel are doing it for good reasons. And some are doing it for reasons that are not so good. That's a difficult statement, isn't it? Say, what does that mean? Well, look at the next verse. He says, the latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Meaning they've been encouraged by my obedience to God and they're going out and they're sharing the gospel of Christ and they're sharing the gospel of Christ is encouraging my heart in my negative circumstances. That's the impact of it on Paul. There are others, however, who are probably thinking of themselves as being a little more sophisticated. That either perhaps they were the popular leaders of the church in Rome and when Paul came, their position was diminished by his overwhelming presence. Okay, it'd be like having Billy Graham come to speak here, okay, and the building would overflow and we had to put chairs in the parking lot. How do you think I would feel in my flesh? I would just be really happy, right? Okay, though there's a tendency in all of us to, and Paul's just, he's reckoning with, some people are doing this for the wrong reasons. They, they, were, they were kind of a little aggravated by my presence. They lost prominence. And now they're turning up the, Paul, Paul, how do you feel about that? You must really be aggravated and upset with them. What does Paul say? I just love this response. He says, the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. While I am off the scene, they're grabbing at power and authority. Some have speculated that, that also there were some who probably thought that Paul got into trouble because he was just, Reckless. He was careless in his proclamation of Christ. They thought they were more nuanced and more sophisticated in their sharing of Christ and certainly wouldn't have gotten into the kind of trouble that Paul got into. Okay, those are the two options that I think are most likely. Either people that lost popularity in light of Paul's strong presence and accomplishment and were jealous, or there were people that just thought they were better, more effective, more sophisticated. We're able to get around the struggles and trials of the situation. What is Paul's response? Paul says, verse, you just have to love the way he puts this, verse 18. He says, what does it matter? And because they're saying, hey, Paul, some people are speaking Jesus in his name for the wrong reason. They're trying to hurt you. They're trying to hurt your reputation to gain a following for themselves. Paul says, I don't care. And it's not that he's just giving that rough blow off. I, I don't care. Okay, what's his reason for being able to say, hey, what does that matter to me? He says the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached, and because of that, I will rejoice. Case closed. If the good news of Christ, his work on the cross, his sacrificial substitutionary payment for my sin is being made known, Paul says, in that I will find a great reason for joy. Why? Paul's saying, I'm in chains for Christ. That's the reason I'm going through this struggle. So that people can know the glorious good news of Jesus. So why would I be bothered? Well, because most of us would be, Paul. 
If people were slandering us, hurting us, abusing our reputation, we would get aggravated by that. Paul says, hey, as long as Christ is proclaimed, he says, that's my objective in life. That's the source of joy in my life. It's the good news of Christ that had so changed Paul. Paul tied his joy to seeing the work of God advanced in spite of the circumstances that he faced. And I think this, I think this is a picture of amazing grace. Paul's a realist. He realizes that if truth be known, none of us do everything that we do for the right reasons all the time. Isn't that true? How many of you want to say my motives are always clean? Always. Never duplicity in my life. Okay, I can't say that. I can't say that I always do what I do for the right reasons. Paul's response to these people who are aggravating and raising their problems for him is one of grace. And folks, here, here's a, a conviction I think flows out of this kind of courageous joy. Courageous joy will produce a grace in your life that, no lo- that is no longer petty and picky about little things. 